Why is it that steps towards God and faith are so often met with resistance? Why do temptations to cave, compromise, or call it quits abound? In the pages of the Bible, we learn about a battle that rages beneath, a spiritual force at work under the surface. Our opposition is described in three categories, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Three enemies poised against our progress in Christ. As the devil schemes to deceive us and the flesh desires to distract us, in a world set on establishing this broken state as idyllic, it is time to unmask the face of our enemy and fight back. Through the gospel, their power is shattered, the enemy is vanquished, and power to overcome by faith is unleashed. There is a real spiritual conflict, but Jesus is the great conqueror. Let us strengthen our souls for war, prepare our minds for battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Good morning. How we doing, Rise City Church? Oh, 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 we're doing good, apparently. All right, let's talk about Satan. Okay, okay. All right, so we, so we are in this series, and we are looking at the, the war that we're in, this battle that we're in. And we, the reason this matters is because we want to be disciples of Jesus, amen? We're, we're looking to follow him. We're looking to take footsteps in his footsteps. And there is an actual spiritual battle. There, there are forces at work trying to keep you away from your discipleship, trying turn to derail you. And we need to be aware of that. And so that's why uh, our, our last week of World Flesh Devil, this is why we've been looking at this idea of, of what are these enemies of the soul. And it's easy to come and say like, okay, wait, why are we giving a whole week to talk about Satan? Um, here's why. Because Jesus taught about Satan. And, and we want to follow and understand the teachings of Jesus. And so we, will, we, we always end with the hope of the gospel, and that's important. But it's, it, it's vitally important that we understand what is happening in our world, what is happening around us, and what is actually going on. So how we're going to do this is we're going to look at Jesus' teaching. So if you have a Bible... Open to John chapter 8. Uh, we're going to see this famous line that Jesus says, but, there, but there's layers underneath, and I want to understand it a little bit better. And so we're going to look at Jesus' teachings on the devil in John 8, 31. This is what he says. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if we, if we understand his truth and we're following after him, then we're really his disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Famous line. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we need to ask the question, free from what? What, what, do we, what do we set free from? And if we dig a little deeper and we keep going in this passage, we see what Jesus is talking about. So he's having this interaction, and there's this group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees, and they, they get defensive over everything Jesus says. They don't like Jesus because Jesus is constantly calling them out for things. And so they have this interaction, and they're like, set us free. What do you mean? We're not slaves. We are the sons of Abraham. We were never slaves which also is a really stupid thing to say because they had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized and there's this, the second book of the scripture is a book called Exodus, which is all about the Jews being enslaved and exiting 
Jesus, okay? So they're off a little bit on their theology, a little bit ironic. But Jesus, he explains, he's actually talking about spiritual slavery. He says, truly, truly, verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So he's explaining that understanding the truth will set you free from the bondage that sin has over your body and your soul. And so the Pharisees, they get even angrier because they think that Jesus is calling them sinners. And they're like, no, we're the holy and we're the righteous. And so they actually start attacking Jesus. And they say something like, no, 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 we're the sons of Abraham. We're not illegitimate children. And what they're doing is they're actually, they're trying to make a snide jab at Jesus because they know the rumor that Jesus was born of a virgin, but they don't believe that that's true. They believe that Jesus is born out of wedlock. So essentially what they say is, no, we're sons of Abraham. We aren't bastards like you. It's getting a little heated. And so Jesus, he turns it up a notch. He's like, okay, you, you wanna go? I can go, right? I made you, son, right? Let's go, okay? Uh, verse 44, and you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus isn't trying to just belittle them. Jesus is trying to reveal that they've been deceived. They think they're in the right. They think what they're doing is the only right thing, but they have actually been deceived by their father, the devil, and they're actually working in his favor on his behest because they have bought the lie and now are living counter to the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be said of me. I, I don't want to be deceived in such a way that I live counter to the truth of Christ and the goodness of the gospel. So, so let's kind of pick this apart a little bit. Let's try to understand Jesus's teaching and theology um, of the devil, and then how do we respond? So first, uh, for Jesus, the devil is real. It's not some mythological made-up creature. The devil is real. The, the Greek word he uses is diabolos, and what it means is, it means the accuser. It's actually more of a title. It's also referred to as the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the great dragon, the ancient serpent. And most of the New Testament, all throughout it, theologians have pointed out when, when he's referred to, he's referred to by a title, not by name. Because name speaks to your identity, it's core of who you are. But Satan is this fallen angel who's nothing more than a title. He's become, you know, the, the, he was the ancient version of he who will not be named. That's kind of the reference here, right? But he's not a fictional Harry Potter character. The devil is real to Jesus. And we have these cultural depictions of the devil, don't we, right? So what, what is he? he? It's the red, you know, the red face and the horns and the pitchfork and the tail. Like, ah, oh, that's the devil, right? Or, you know, back when Saturday Night Live, you used to be funny, you know, you'd have Will Ferrell show up and, uh, you know, he, he, he'd show up as a devil, right? He's, you know, and he, he'd love rock music and, and, and these cultural depictions or the most modern day version, you know, clearly your least, you know, anybody's least favorite, you know, political figure is the devil. You can just put the, fill in the name and then the devil, you'll find a Google image for it, right? And, and so these are cultural depictions and I actually think what these have done is they, is they numb us to the truth that the devil is real. 
And so what we need is we need a biblical theology of Satan. See, John Stott, he explains it this way. He says, we need to rid our minds of the medieval character of Satan, dispensing with the horns and the hooves and the tail. We are left with the biblical portrait of a spiritual being, highly intelligent, immensely powerful, and utterly unscrupulous. So, so let's understand from the teachings of Scripture, get a biblical theology of Satan. And, and I'm going to just dabble in it. I'm going to give a brief overview. We can't dive too deeply, but I would encourage you. These are, it's, it's good to know the enemy. It's good to actually understand. So I would encourage you to study this kind of stuff, okay? And, and so just a few areas to point you through, uh, point you to. Uh, there's a book uh, that came out about a year ago by a guy named John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, and it is fantastic of understanding um, Satan and how we oppose him and understanding the way he works with his lies. Um, there's Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. He has a whole section on angels and demons uh, that gives a really good overview view of, whole, of the whole scriptures and, and how it points. And then there's even a book by R.C. Sproul called Everyone's a Theologian, and it gives a good breakdown. Now, so understand, but like, I'm not saying like every day, like start with this, okay? This shouldn't be like every morning quiet time, you know, decaf and the devil, let's go. Like, no, that's not a good start. That's not a good start to the day in any way, shape, or form. But as Christians, we need to understand the teachings of Jesus. So first, Biblical theology of Satan, he was created by God. We see this uh, in Ezekiel 28. Now, understand this, and this is important to understand. Why is this important to understand? He is not God's equal. He is not an equal rival, an equal power. Any power he has has been allowed by the good sovereignty of God in some way, shape, or form. And so he has been created, and one day he will be destroyed. This is what we have to understand. He was created by God. He is not God's equal. Second, he was originally created by God to play a good role in God's kingdom, but he rebelled against God. Now, you have to have some conjecture here um, because it doesn't lay out all this, but, but it seems to be that his original purpose, intended purpose, was to play this testing role for humanity to kind of test our faith and to, to help us understand. But he, but he spun out of control and he wanted glory and power for himself. Somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, we see all that God created was good. God did not create evil, but he did create Satan, which, who was a beautiful angel that wanted glory for himself, and he fell away from the good things that God called him to and had for us. Uh, third, he is the head of the fallen angels, demons, that rebelled against God. You can read about that, Second Peter 2. So there's multiple, uh, some people will call them devils, but there's one Satan, one devil, and then he's the head of demons, which are also fallen rebellious angels. Uh, the devil is not yet in hell, he's here on earth. We like to think, okay, you know, you know, devil's down in hell. No, he's actually, this is where he is. He's present here on earth, and he's roaming the earth. But it's also important to understand, he's only in one place at a time, Okay? So he's not omnipresent like God. He can't just be in, over there and over here. So you're driving to, you know, driving to church this morning and you get a fight, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, the devil, he's just, you know, he's showing up. Like, I don't think the devil was in your minivan this morning, okay? Like, maybe, maybe, right, maybe, okay? I don't know what music you were listening to, the devil's music, right, okay? But, but we have to understand there's a limit. And so we see glimpses where he has these interactions in the scriptures, 
and he's in that one place at that one time because he's limited in his power. We see this in Job chapter one. We see that he, he's almost asking God to allow him to test Job. Let me, let me have your servant Job. Let me do these things. And, and he's limited and he, he's, not all pow- he's not all present and he's not all powerful. He's limited. He, the only thing he's allowed to do is under the sovereignty of God, God's goodness. For some reason he's allowed there to be this testing of our faith for a temporary period of time. And lastly, he blinds people to the gospel. That's his, that's, that's his ultimate ends. He wants to cause destruction. So let me give you a, let me give you a, a, a definition and overview that I think is helpful. I'm gonna give you two. One more complicated, one a little more simple. Uh, the devil is a real, immaterial, but intelligent being. Okay, the devil is spirit. He's real, Immaterial, I don't mean made up, but I mean he's spirit, okay? Angels are spirit, animals are body, humans are spirit and body together. Satan was an angel, he's a spiritual being, intelligent being, whose end goal is to thwart God's good, ruining our souls individually and society as a whole through means of deceptive lies. That's, that's, that's his means, is deception and lies. That's the power that he has. Put a little more briefly, the devil is a real evil being who seeks to deceive you into destruction. But we need to understand, for Jesus, the devil is real. He's not a myth. He's not an ancient religious fiction created to scare naughty little boys. You know, ah, Satan's going to get you, right? He's, no, he's real. And look, I get it. There's some of you who are here today that are like, okay, I'm exploring Christianity but when you, as soon as you start talking about these kind of things, this is, the, this is why I check out, because this is ancient. Like, I can't believe you believe these far-fetched ideas. I am a 21st century modern thinker. And this thought of an evil, immaterial being or an evil spirit, it just is so far-fetched and childish. But let me invite you to just consider something. Evil exists. Evil exists. You would be ignorant to deny that. About 21 years ago, two planes were flown into buildings in New York and thousands of people died that day. Thousands of others watched on as their friends and families were in these buildings as they collapsed. To look at that and to deny evil is ignorant and foolish. About 10 years ago, a man burst into an elementary school in Sandy Hook with a gun and did horrific evil. You would be ignorant to deny that evil exists. Now, just weeks ago, as we've been seeing on the news in Iran, there was a young teenage girl who was beat to death by the so-called morality police because she wasn't wearing her hijab properly. This is evil. This is what's happening and taking place in our country right now. We are passing laws allowing for children to be mutilated and castrated in the name of gender-affirming surgeries, ensuring they'll never be able to experience one of the greatest joys on this earth, the good gift of God, of being able to hold our own child in our arms. This is evil. Evil exists, and you would be an ignorant fool to argue otherwise. And what you need is a holistic and honest worldview that can explain why evil exists and where it comes from. 
And this is what the Bible has to offer us, is that Jesus and his teachings, they give a clear answer to the origin, source, and force behind the evil atrocities of this world. We, we can't just ignore these things. We need to be able to understand, and this is part of what Jesus is revealing about Satan, is he's real, and second, he's, his end goal is to spread death. That's what, that's what Satan is trying to do. Is where Jesus says, he was a murderer from the beginning, is what Jesus tells us. Later on in John 10, 10, he says the thief, another name for the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so we see this, this, this contrary, this contradiction, that where God is good, and loving and wants to create and spread beauty and the devil is his adversary actively working toward the opposite think of this like as this like cosmic war tug of war taking place over the earth where where's kingdom or kingdom be done hell be done it, it's this it's this battle here that we see on earth cs lewis puts it like this he says there is no neutral ground in the universe every square inch Every split second is claimed by God and counter claimed by Satan. There's a cosmic war. Now, and I want to be careful not to correct C.S. Lewis, but, but I'm going to correct C.S. Lewis. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Satan doesn't have rule and reign over the universe, just this earth for a temporary period of time. But there's a real battle. See, Jesus, he is the author of life itself and an advocate for all that is good and beautiful and true and specifically love. It tells us that God is love and the devil is in rebellion against all that God is and all that he stands for. And, and he wants to wreck love. He wants to bring about death. One relationship, one community, one nation, one generation at a, at a time. This is what we are experiencing this is what you're seeing in your kids' schools. This is what we're seeing in our nation. This is the wars we're seeing in our world. What is behind it? There is a very real evil force trying to propel forward his will against the will of God. John Mark Comer in Live No Lies, he puts it like this. Wherever he finds life, speaking of the devil, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, fragment it into a million pieces human flourishing put it to anarchy or tyranny or tyranny either will do his anti-life pro-death pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire this is what we're facing and we need to be aware of it i uh my daughter's birthday she turned seven today and uh, she's talked about for years, when she's seven, she wants to get her ears pierced. And so on Friday, we were having a family day, and uh, we're going to go, um, go down into Portland and just, uh, just have fun with her and kind of celebrate her. And so on the way, uh, we were going to stop at a Claire's so she could get her ears pierced. And so we were looking up ones on the way, and a lot are closed down, but um, there's one at Lloyd Center. And I thought, I haven't been to Lloyd Center in like 15 years. That sounds fun, right? Okay. Apparently no one else has been to Lloyd Center in like 15 years. So we go. And at first I'm like, this is nice. The, all the parking spots are open, right? Front, front parking spot. Like, let's go. Right. So we walk in and I kid you not, it was like a ghost town in there. Like a tumbleweed just blew by. Right. A cowboy came out. What are you doing around here? Like, it was just like a scene. 
And we're walking around and, and there's windows. This is a mall. This is like inside in a mall. Windows are boarded up. The, the, all, the, all the, you know, those chain link front, you know, guard fences are, are down. And we're just like walking around. Somehow Aunt Annie's has stayed strong and is still open. So if you want a pretzel, yep, yep, the resist, resist. Orange Julius is still bl- blending their drinks. And Claire's was open. So I'm like, this is glorious, right? So Nova goes in and she, she's getting her, you know, ears pierced. And so Dax and I are walking around. Nova doesn't want us to watch. So Dax and I are walking around. And we're just like counting all these stores that are closed. One of them was open, and, but had a rope across it. And it says, if you want to come in, you let us know and we will escort you around the store. And we're like, what? Like, what is happening? This, like, this is where, like, there's memories in this place. It used to be this place that, not, not that like a mall is like the pinnacle of the kingdom of heaven, but like it was a beautiful, amazing place, right? You know? And so we're walking around and she gets done getting her ears pierced and we're just like, it's almost just, I just want to see every square inch. People are like literally sitting in chairs just like talking to themselves. Like it just is like this bizarre thing. And in the middle of it, in the middle of Lloyd Center, what, what's in the very middle? The, the ice skating rink. No, it's going strong. It's going strong. And I kid you not, I, we, we're walking and we, we get closer and we just hear this beautiful music playing. And there's this old couple, I mean, fully gray. They look like they've been married for 50 years. And they are just, they are dancing this coordinated dance on the ice together in the middle of the apocalypse, right? <laughs> it was like a scene out of a movie. And I thought, this is the cosmic war we're in. A battle between good and beauty and love and marriage and the destruction that the enemy is trying to bring about. See, there is a real battle. And the earth is the battlefield and humanity are the soldiers. And we are either joining God's family and participating in bringing heaven to earth or we are deceived by the devil and we are into bringing hell to earth. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I bringing about love? Am I bringing about wholeness? Am I bringing about unity? Am I bringing about beauty? Or is the enemy using me as a pawn to tear the church and the world apart? See, this is what's so fascinating about this discussion. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what the Pharisees thought? They thought they were on God's side, didn't they? They thought they were bad, having this holy war to rip Jesus apart. And Jesus looks at them and says, you are of your father, the devil. And we have to understand this. Nobody thinks they're fighting on the devil's side. Do they? But they've been deceived. And if you are bringing about war and you are bringing about hate and you are uh, ripping people apart and you're trying to pull families apart, you are believing the lie. And behind all great and small world atrocities that we are seeing and experiencing is the father of lies whispering his deception. He's whispering to Eve, did God really say He's whispering to Jesus in the wilderness. You know what he says to Jesus? He says, you know, you can, you can skip the whole cross. 
You can skip this death and resurrection. If you just bow to me, I'll give you the earth right now. He's whispering. It's this subtle whisper in the ear. This nation would be so much better if it was pure. Just round up all the Jews and put them in camps. You're doing good work. There, there's a whisper and a lie behind all evil. It's a simple idea planted in your head. You married the wrong person. You both would be better off if you just divorced. This is no home, no life to raise your kids in. It's subtle, but this is how Satan accomplishes his will of death and separation and destruction in this world. It's through deception. And this is what we have to see in Jesus. What he's teaching us is the devil destroys by means of deception. He is a master manipulator. And, and, and what does he lie about? Well, two things primarily that we'll look at. Um, he wants to deceive us about what is true, and he wants to deceive us about who we should trust. Um, truth is a head level. He wants to rip us apart, and here's what I mean. He wants to re redefine good and evil based on the voice in our heads and the inclination of our hearts rather than trusting in the loving word of God. Are you seeing this? Things that were once shamefully hidden are now paraded around in the streets and celebrated. And he's flipped it upside down. He's, no, what God has said is evil wants our society to believe is good. And what God said is good wants our world and our hearts and our minds to say declares evil. And this is his strategy. This is how he works. And this is why we've called this world flesh devil because they actually all tie in together. See, it starts with Satan's deceptive ideas, those whispers, those lies. But those, those deceptive ideas, they speak to your flesh. They speak to your disordered desires, what Scott preached on last week. He's gonna use those against you. He knows what they are. And he's saying, oh, but isn't this good to the eye? Isn't this pleasing? Don't you want this? If God was really good, he'd want you to have this. And then in the world, he wants to normalize all of this sin in a sinful society. To say, no, these are now the things that we celebrate. This is now a sinful society. As one theologian put it, Satan's deception is to make sin less offensive, heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. This is world, flesh, devil. But that's the, that's the head level. That's our truth that he wants to rip apart. Even deeper is the heart level where he wants to rip apart trust. He wants to get you to doubt the goodness and grace of God. And so let's see how he does this. I just want you to um, explore this real quick with me in Genesis 3. This is this interaction that he has with Eve at the fall of humanity. And he says this, this simple lie. He doesn't come after her with his angry diatribe. He's not trying to just kill her right away. He's trying to plant the seed of death in her heart. And he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve, she's almost like kind of caught off guard. She's like, ah, I think so, yeah. Like, and we can't touch it. And she kind of goes off. And, and he goes on and he, and he continues to press it. He says, you will not certainly die. For God knows 
that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Notice that he, he came at her with this simple yet evocative idea that God's not as good or wise as he claims to be. Essentially what he's saying, and this is the root of all his deception, is that God is holding out on you. If you just seize autonomy from God and do your own thing, you're gonna be better off. And this, look, he comes at us with this. What, what season are you in? What are you going through? I guarantee you, the enemy is gonna whisper in your ear, whisper in your mind, come at your heart that God is holding out on you. Are you in a season of singleness that you never wanted? What, what is the enemy gonna say? God, man, God, he doesn't have good for you. Look at everybody around you. They're all happy and content and you are alone. He doesn't see you. Are you in a season of grief or suffering? What is God gonna say? Or what is Satan gonna say? God's holding out on you. He, he's withholding. He's not actually good. Maybe you're discontent with your career or you never got to the career you wanted and you're dissatisfied. See, God doesn't have good things. You should go after this. You should seek after this. It could be friendships, it could be relationships, anything in life. He's gonna take these wounds, these insecurities, these pain points, and he's gonna whisper, God is holding out. Because if he can get us to doubt God and instead trust in our own inner intuitions as an accurate compass for what is good in life, he has us. That's why John Knox, he puts it this way. By what means Satan first drew mankind from the obedience of God, the scripture doth witness. You know it's a good morning when you get a good old doth in a quote. <laughs> what does the scripture doth witness? Namely, by pouring into their hearts that poison that God did not love them. And by affirming that by transgression of God's commandments, they might attain to felicity and joy so that he caused them to seek life where God had pronounced death to be. Man, just like resonate on that last line. He caused them to seek life where God had pronounced death to be. That's the root of all sin. There's a lack of trust of the goodness of God. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What, what is the fruit of the life of God? It's love. It's, it's joy. It's peace. It's goodness. And Satan wants you to doubt that. No, see, he's holding out on you. The same lie that he deceived Eve with is the same lie he's coming at your heart with. The root of all sin is a failure to trust in the goodness of God. And if he, if he can get you to doubt that, he, I don't, he doesn't care if he uses it by any means. It could be through your flesh or it could be through your religion. Anything that gets you to doubt the goodness of God is the root of the lie. See, and here's how he's gonna go about it. He's gonna pick at your most painful wounds. He's gonna play at your deepest insecurity and he's gonna lure you with your strongest desires. This is how... This is how he attacks. Man, what are your wounds? What, what is the hurt that you've been experiencing? He's gonna do everything he can to convince you that you don't need people anymore. They're just gonna hurt you. Like, like I've watched as so many people have walked through these doors with a deep, 
past church wounds. You think, this, you think the Satan is not gonna pick at that every time I say something that triggers you? Every time, look, church is gonna fall short. We're human beings. We're gonna let each other down. But Jesus said, this is my body. This is, this is the, my bride. And if you're starting to feel this tug or this pull, like you shouldn't be at that church anymore. You shouldn't be connected to those people anymore. Let me just ask you, do you think that is coming from Jesus and his kingdom or do you think that is coming from Satan and hell itself? Satan wants to isolate. He wants to pull away and he's gonna use your wounds to bring you into isolation to where he can attack you even more. He's gonna use your insecurities. He's gonna be the one who whispers, you're not good enough. Nobody likes you. People hate how you laugh. People hate how your voice sounds. What about your past? What if they find out what you've done? You really think you're qualified? You really think you're able? And you need to ask yourself in those moments, is this truth of my creator who calls me? Or is this a lie from Satan trying to deceive me? We need to to decipher these things. And he's gonna use your desires to lure you away from the good that God has for you and want you to sell, settle for even less. So, so what do we do, right? Like, man, this is like, this is dark. <laughs> what do we do? Well, you know what the beauty of the way of Jesus is? It always offers us hope. It always offers us power for a way out. So, so the question is, how do we fight? Well, the scriptures lay it out for us. And so I just wanna read Ephesians 6. I'm not gonna dive too deep into it today because I don't have time, but here's what I wanna encourage you to do. I want you to dive into it. Um, you can get richer, deeper truth through the Holy Spirit reading your word than you'll ever get on a Sunday, somebody talking at you from a stage. He has empowered you to understand his word. If you would bet, take the time to listen and to dive in. So I want you later today or later this week, would you open Ephesians 6 and line by line, verse by verse, read this and say, God, what do you have for me? But as I read it, I want you to see this theme of what we are to do. It's to stand. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your what? Your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what we said week one, that we need to identify the enemy, and the enemy is not your neighbor. The enemy is this spiritual force of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is why we need to stand in the word of truth. How do we fight? How do we stand? We stand in the word, that we would hear the truth of Jesus. We would hear the truth of his word, that we would be able to know this and to know the truth in order to recognize the lies. 
So when he comes at you and he says, you're worthless, nobody loves you. You know what you combat that with? Nah, no, I'm not worthless. I am God's workmanship. You know how I know that? Because I stand in the word. And I am created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that I would just walk in them. So you have no place here. You have no voice here. This is why we root ourselves in the truth so we can recognize the lies that are trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God, trying to get us to doubt truth, trying to get us to doubt our trust in him. This is why we read the scriptures. You know what else happens when we, when we stand in the word of truth? We realize that Jesus came. We learn that Jesus came to defeat the devil. First John it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We can be reminded, no, the devil is shackled. He is limited in his power and his influence. The only influence he has on me is what I allow him to have. The only influence, the only way that he can deceive me with his lies is if I allow him to deceive me with his lies because Jesus has conquered over Satan. And you know what is so beautiful about the scriptures? One of the most incredible things, you can skip to the end. And you know what you read at the end? Jesus wins. Man, you can open the book of Revelation. You can read chapter 20 and 21. And it says Jesus shows up and he's riding a white horse and he's got a, he's got a big giant sword in his hand because he came to do battle and to end the enemy once and for all. For all. And he's got a big fat, fatty tattoo on his leg that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he's here to rule and to reign. And he puts Satan and he sends him away into the fiery lake of fire forever and Jesus wins. And so when you face those battles and you're, and you're standing in the truth of scripture, you can just laugh it off and say, no, I know the end. I know you lose in the end. I'm gonna be on the winning side. I'm gonna walk with Jesus. This is the truth. This is what it means to stand in the word. And so over and over and over, this is why we constantly say, man, would we be a people of the word? This is why we spent four months looking at spiritual formation that we would be formed in the image of Jesus, that we would spend time with him in prayer and the word so that we can check a box and say we're good Christians? No. So that the truth would, would just settle deep in our bones. We had this men's group and uh, we would meet once a month and we would read books and read scripture and we would encourage each other of how, how we're growing and what it looks like. But one of the things we were doing is we were memorizing Bible verses. And, you know, if you've ever done this, there's times where you do it and you're like, oh, like, oh, okay, I didn't memorize it, but you know what? I got three hours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this down, right? I'm gonna do my homework for the group, right? And so we were memorizing scripture. We were doing it for a few months. And then one of the guys in our group, um, he went through a major trial. And uh, he ended up going to a D, he ended up getting his second DUI in a couple of months. And uh, he, went to, he went to jail for a number of months. And when he got out, he came and rejoined our group and he was just sharing what God was doing in his heart and his life. And, and, he was, and he looked at us and he goes, man, you have no idea how dehumanizing it is to sit in a jail cell all day and all you have, the only possession you have is a spoon. He was like, I would just sit there in my room and like, this is my life. Like, th like this spoon is who I am now. Like, it just felt so broken. And he says, it was a few weeks in that he realized, he's like, you know what? That's not all I have. 
He's like, I actually have the word of God in my heart because of what we've been memorizing in this group. And it didn't mean much to me in the beginning, but it means much to me now. And he said, fear would overcome my heart. And I would just say, 2 Timothy 1.7, we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And over and over, this is, what, this is why, we stand, why we stand in the truth of God's word. It's because it's, it's what we do battle with. Here's the second thing I just want to encourage you in. And stop giving Satan space in your mind. Like, like what ideas has he planted in your head? Stop empowering them. Through the things you watch, through the things you read, through the things you listen to, you're, you're giving him this highway to your mind and your heart. And start filtering. Not so you can be, you know, um, again, check some box or, oh, I'm a really good Christian. I did. No, to protect your heart, to guard it against the lies of the enemy. Is is this the truth of God soaking in my mind and my heart? And let me tell you what he's going to attack. There's two things going to come, two institutes that God has has set up for us that are foundational. He's going to attack the family and he's going to attack the church. This is how you know it's coming from Satan when he, when he starts to rip apart your family. He wants to disconnect you from your spouse. He wants to disconnect you from your parents and your kids. And he wants to disconnect you from your church. So stop giving Satan space in your mind. And lastly, if we're to stand, we need to understand that we need to stand together, not alone. This is not a fight that we can fight, a battle we can fight on our own. I want to read 1 Peter to you. And just listen to it. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, to devour. So resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering, that we would be in this together, that we would stand together, not alone. This is why gathering as a church is so vital and so important. Because we look across our nation, like the enemy is ripping churches apart. I spent a lot of time connecting with other pastors. What we've, expe- what we've experienced these last two and a half years is incredible. The people that have come to the faith, that have come and joined this, at, this family gets stronger every week. But there are many, many churches out there that that's not what they're experiencing. They are decimated from the last two years. They are disunified and they are disconnected. And we have to fight for this family, to protect, to be known. Because we cannot do this on our own. We do not have the strength to fight on our own. So this is why we gather week after week to stand in worship. You realize that worship is warfare. You are declaring, no, Jesus is king, not the world. That's why we stand and we sing every week. And you are declaring war over the world when you gather together with your church and you let them in and you open them up. We do not have the strength to stand on our own. We need those around us. We need our church. You know, one of the most moving experiences of my life uh, happened this last year. Um, There's a guy who was a part of our church for about a year. His name is Joel Bramwell. Uh, He passed away a little over a week ago. And about a year ago, roughly a year ago, he, he suffered a massive stroke that left him uh, uh, unable to walk like he could before. He was a runner, he, he was active, involved in all these things. And so him and his wife 
uh, started coming to, he- coming to church here at Rise. His good friend, Mike Tompkins. And they would come to, he would come to every men's night. Him and, him and Mike would come to every men's night. And I remember there's one men's night where um, we, we were getting ready to worship. And so whoever was leading us in worship said, hey, would you got, men, would you stand with me in honor of God? Right. And I remember feeling a little bit frustrated because I kind of looked around. There was a few guys who were not standing because guys are stubborn like that. They're like, whatever, man. Like, they just like somehow sink deeper into their chair, right? This rebellious nature. And as I'm watching this, just feeling this like frustration over this act, I look over and I see Joel turn to Mike. And he, he calls Mike over. And Mike begins helping him lock the wheels of his wheelchair. And then Joel puts his arm around Mike and Mike helps him lift up and stand to his feet so that he can stand and worship Jesus. And I thought, if that's not a picture of the church, I don't know what is. Listen, we are called to stand and worship our king. We are called to stand firm in the faith. We are called to stand against the devil's schemes. And we cannot do it alone. We need people around us to be our strength, to walk with us so that we could run the race marked out before us. The devil is real, but Jesus is realer. (laughs) The devil is powerful. But Jesus is all power. The devil may be the prince of this world, but Jesus is the king of the universe. And let's stand and worship him. Would you guys stand with me as we close? Jesus, we stand in honor of you. To your glory, to your praise. Thank you for your word that you teach us what is happening around us so that we can be prepared and we can be strengthened to fight. We thank you for the truth of your word that gives us clarity over who we can trust and who we can build our lives upon. We thank you for your church, your brothers and sisters, that we don't have to walk this alone. We don't have to stand alone, but we can stand together in unison under your gospel by your blood. We pray all this in your name.